as Russia and China bolster their ties further, Saudi Arabia and Iran strike a deal. The U.S. is calling for a rival front of democracies. India's tightrope walk through these developments is getting tougher ahead of a number of crucial meetings ahead in the next few months, the G7, the G20, the SCO and the Quad. So there's a lot to unpack for you here on Worldview with me, Sohasini Heather. Hello and welcome. Now, if India thought that the year would be about reconciling global differences through the G20 process and through India's hosting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization in 2023, then the first few months have given the government much to think about. Just in March, so much has happened ever since that G20 foreign ministers meeting and the failed attempts at joint statements that we covered here. Uh, but it's clear that geopolitical divide, the differences have grown much further in just the last few weeks. So let's just quickly recap what has happened. First, there was the Iran-Saudi Arabia agreement. In a surprise announcement, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and Iran announced that they would re-establish full diplomatic ties, reopen embassies in each other's countries after talks that were mediated in Beijing by China. The message that went out was quite clear, that West Asian politics, or Middle Eastern politics as it's known, in the West, long run on the perennial idea of a Shia-Sunni rivalry of Iran on one side, Saudi Arabia on the other, could actually be upended now. There's an end possibility to hostilities in Yemen, in Lebanon, uh, in uh, uh, Iraq, and other proxy conflicts as they are called. And it looks like the decline of Western influence and the rise of Chinese influence when it comes to creating these kind of environments where you can see conflicts result. Now, of course, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating and many things that could happen in the next few months in terms of uh, high-level meetings between Iran and Saudi Arabia and how those go as well as how much they keep their word. Uh, but for the moment, it's a very important uh, development that we have to watch very closely. The second then, the International Criminal Court convicted Russian President Putin uh, over the war in Ukraine, specifically in a number of alleged kidnappings of children, uh, of uh, children from Ukraine who were then apparently taken to Russia. Now, neither Russia nor China, nor in fact the United States or even India, are signatories to the ICC. So this may not make such a difference in uh, the short term, but it could impact, if that warrant of arrest continues, it could impact President Putin's travels around the world uh, to those countries, I think more than 100, that are signatories uh, in case there's a, uh, there's a warrant out for him. The third big development that took place was that President Xi, Chinese President Xi, traveled to Moscow. A year after President Putin had gone to Beijing, if you remember, Xi went to Moscow, reaffirmed the relationship between Russia and China. Now, their joint statement that was released along with what is seen as a rare joint press appearance between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin in Moscow. Here's the bare bones of what they actually said. Uh, one, that China and Russia stand behind their No Limits Partnership, what they had signed a year ago, despite what has happened since then, which is the Ukraine war. Uh, China says it remains neutral on the war, but even so, Russia and China have embarked on a new era of ties. They say will be a model for major power relations. So they're clearly trying to script some kind of geopolitical history over here. Uh, they also said this is not a military alliance. It adheres to non-alignment, to non-confrontation and non-targeting of third countries. But clearly, that's not something everybody will believe. Russia said it needs a prosperous and stable China. And China said it needs a strong and successful Russia. So a real 
co uh, coalition, if you like, of their interests over there. And both sides committed to enhancing their trade relationship, especially their energy relationship and a full completion, remember, of their 30-year $300 billion gas pipeline project. It was called the Power of Siberia. There's already a Power of Siberia 1 and possibly the second. It was originally signed in 2014, a very critical time because that's about when, after the invasion of Crimea, that Russia and the West, their divide really began to widen. They also referenced not allowing multipolar organizations to be politicized, indicating really that the current logjam at the G20 is possible, uh, possibly going to continue, or certainly they are going to continue that joint front they showed when they were in India earlier this month. There's much more on the impact of this meeting bet uh, between Xi and Putin on the Hindu's website, www.thehindu.com, and in particular, a piece by my colleague based in Beijing, Anand Krishnan. Now, on to the next development then. Iran, Russia, and China held naval exercises in the Gulf of Oman last week. Uh, along with a few other countries, they didn't name those other countries, but it's very significant because Russia and China have had military exercises uh, together quite often. The inclusion of Iran, particularly in the Gulf of Oman, is significant. A fifth development, Saudi Arabia, the cabinet actually cleared the decision to join the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the SCO, of course. Uh, this is a longish process. Iran has taken several years to, uh, to become a part of the SCO. It's likely to be inducted this year. More will be known about both Saudi Arabia and Iran joining the SCO and possibly changing the nature of what we have seen at the SCO so far, which has been Russia, China, Central Asian countries, and then India and Pakistan. Um, India is, of course, hosting the SEO summit this year in July. We'll have a little more on that. So broadly, what do the events in Russia and China and the India uh, and the Iran-Saudi Arabia agreement really bode for India? This is a question many have been asking us. So let's just quickly take you through a list. The first, the strengthening of Russia-China ties, obviously a problem for India, given that one is a traditional friend, the other is a traditional foe or a traditional rival, however you want to see it. So obviously, India is going to be concerned about a closing of ties there. Impacts could be felt, particularly energy, given China's plans for more Russian energy imports, both oil as well as gas. And for defense, remember, China is also a buyer of uh, Russian defense. It bought the S-400 before India did and possibly will also be a supplier. The new front between Russia and China will make consensus at the G20 that much more difficult. Obviously, we have spoken about this. Now, Iran and Saudi Arabia and their agreement, they're both close friends of India thus far, strategic partnership partners of India thus far. So their deal is a positive. And the Ministry of External Affairs has said it encourages any kind of diplomacy between them. However, the fact that China actually mediated, that China is a guarantor of the deal, makes both countries uh, and much closer to Beijing, if you like. Especially now we have seen visits of Ibrahim Raisi, the Iranian president, to Beijing. And Xi Jinping to Riyadh, he's now expected to go to Tehran as well. And all these high-level meetings between essentially, you know, in countries where the leader is really supreme, is going to uh, be significant and something to watch out for. The sixth point is that India's strain with Iran. Now, there have been problems, despite their really old relationship, uh, over cancelling of Iranian oil imports, uh, over reducing investment in Chabahar due to U.S. sanctions. And also the I2U2, remember we've done a worldview about this, about the Israel-India-US-UAE uh, partnership. It's called Middle Eastern Quad, if you like, the West Asia Quad. 
this uh, this this has also caused a certain rift with iran all of this becomes much more worrying with china's increasing presence and certainly could hurt india's plans to use iran really to circumvent pakistan for connectivity since pakistan has been such a block on speaking about connectivity for india via chabahar the instc the international north south transport corridor uh, all the way to russia could also be hampered if china is going to be much more in a position of influence within iran i hope all of these points really answer questions we got from our viewers particularly girija das and abdul rahman had specific questions on the impact of all these developments on india now let's turn across the geopolitical divide let's take that leap and look at the significant movements from the us and allies this month both european and asian begin with us president biden australian prime minister albanese and the uk prime minister rishi sunak all stood together a very important photo op if you like they actually stood together at the san diego naval base uh, what's called point loma and announced the new phase the three phase plan for aukus remember that was announced in 2021 for aukus which is a 368 billion deal to provide australia with nuclear powered submarines over the next 30 years but men, many parts uh, a part of that phase will begin quite soon with submarines being leased and sent across to australia so a very specific message being sent there to china to the south china seas to the indo pacific in particular then we saw on a visit to delhi japanese prime minister fumio kishida unveiling japan's new indo pacific policy a very significant speech but he also added many critical references to russia's war in ukraine there making clear that japan stands against both russia and china's military plans a uh, new delhi which was the host remained silent on the policy for the moment more on that in just a bit prime minister kishida then further underlined the point he flew straight from delhi to ukraine to meet president vladimir zelensky and express solidarity there so very very significant photo ops uh, then this week the us hosted a virtual democracy summit remember it has uh, had the summit of democracy earlier the first edition in 2021 the second edition now and pitched a, a front of democracies versus authoritarian states in the world uh, the summit also deepened the global divide we've been speaking about neither russia nor china were of course invited to this many leaders at the summit took aim at russia for the ukraine war particularly european leaders we heard from calling it an assault on democracy that russia had attacked ukraine because ukraine was a democracy Uh, in fact the ukrainian president zelensky also was invited and he spoke at that summit and there was a special meeting right at the beginning with a focus on the war in ukraine third point ta taiwan uh, obviously this is a sore point for china taiwan was allowed a national statement uh, the statement was read out by taiwan's human rights chief uh, chen chu but even so taiwanese president tsai ing-wen also was in the us made a stopover at the same time and clearly this is only going to roil tensions further a prime minister narendra modi spoke at the summit of democracies he didn't uh, refer to either side um, uh, but he did reiterate his contention that india is mother of democracy this is a point he has been making before as well uh, on a side point in south asia the us also created its own kind of divide uh, by inviting india pakistan as well as the maldives and nepal to the democracy summit but not inviting bhutan bangladesh and sri lanka which are in fact democracies uh, to the summit pakistan 
declined the invitation saying it would deal on these issues with the US and other co-hosts um, that were there um, bilaterally instead. Now, as you can see, whether it's this side of the geopolitical divide or that side, India is a common factor for the moment. Uh, but it has to walk a very tough tightrope between what we call the continental ties for India and its maritime strategy. What do I mean by that? Just take a look at the map. If you see the map, uh, here is India's continental outlook towards the north of India. There's Pakistan, obviously troubled ties, China, very troubled ties, Afghanistan, worries about terrorism, Iran, uh, Central Asia and Russia. All of these countries uh, make up India's continental outlook. And clearly, while India has strengthened ties with Central Asia, Mongolia, these are countries that deal much more closely with Russia and now with China. Uh, so losing this particular arc, if you like, around India will lead to trouble on India's continental outlook. On the other hand, there is India's maritime strategy to the south. So just look at the map again. In India's maritime outlook, the partnerships that India is looking at are things like the Quad, so the US, Australia, Japan, uh, and then India. But India also works on Indo-Pacific strategies bi bilaterally with countries like the United Kingdom that has just announced a strategy, France, Germany, and also with the European Union, as well as India's own regional a maritime strategy in the Indo uh, uh, Indian Ocean region uh, countries, including Bangladesh and the Bay of Bengal, Sri Lanka, Maldives, Mauritius, and the other islands uh, around. Now, if this map shows you, in a sense, what kind of pulls and pushes there are for India, take a look at the calendar for 2023 and the meetings ahead that also show how India has to balance how it's stretched really on two sides of the fence in April. Uh, we're going to see an SCO defense ministers meeting. The Chinese defense minister expected uh, to attend as well. The Russian will be there. The Pakistani defense minister has been invited. Uh, no, uh, no confirmations yet. Uh, but on the other hand, India will also host the G20 finance ministers, second meeting in Washington. If you remember last year, this particular meeting had led to a walkout by those countries uh, opposed to the Russian war on Ukraine. So it had got split. And India will try to uh, avoid having that kind of a split at this year's meeting, which will be at the World Bank and IMF spring session. In May, there will be an SEO foreign ministers meeting in Goa. Again, China, Pakistan, Russia coming as well as the Central Asian countries, as well as a G7 outreach in Hiroshima. India is, of course, not a member of the G7, most developed countries. Uh, but there in Japan, it is a special guest. India has been a special invitee for many years. Uh, and also after that, Prime Minister Modi will travel from there to Sydney for the Quad Summit with the US, Japan and Australia again. Then in June, Prime Minister Modi is expected to go to the United States for a state visit. He has been invited. The dates have not yet been announced, uh, but it is understood to happen in the third or fourth week of June. Straight after that, in July, India hosts, uh, hosts the SCO Summit. So straight after Prime Minister Modi is there in Washington, he is likely to host President Xi and President Putin in Delhi at the SEO summit, along with other leaders like the Iranian president, the Turkish president, Central Asian presidents, of course, are members. And the big question about whether Pakistan will attend or not. Uh, you turn then uh, later in July to a possible visit to France, where Prime Minister Modi is expected to be a chief guest at the July 14th uh, national parade over there. Uh, and when he goes to Paris, it'll be just uh, after that SEO summit. Here we also see in August, India is expected to take part in the BRICS summit. Brazil, Russia, India, China 
and South Africa. The leaders will come together in Durban in South Africa. This is going to be an important uh, summit because, of course, Brazil has had a change in leadership. President Lula much more attuned uh, towards uh, China and, in fact, has uh, made a visit there. Uh, as well as then uh, the fact that Pre President Putin will attend the summit in South Africa, but South Africa is a signatory to the ICC. Remember, we told you about the warrant of arrest. So this is going to be also a, a summit which will be watched very closely. Finally, in September, India will host the G20 summit in Delhi. Which of these 20 plus countries, because there are the 20 countries, but also the invitees, will send their leaders, will really depend on how the war in Ukraine plays out, how China's tensions with the US play out, and many other factors. So where does India stand in all of this? Let's get you our worldview take on the issue. There is a reason that India's current foreign policy of strategic autonomy and multipolarity is not so different from its traditional foreign policy of non-alignment. Primarily, India's geography makes it clear that it cannot be a camp follower of any one country, nor can it make ideological partnerships beyond the point. Where there is a quad, there is an SCO. Where there is a G7, there is a, uh, or a G7 outreach, there is a G20. Where there is rhetoric, there is also the reality of India's geopolitical situation. Instead of seeing non-alignment as a compulsion, which many analysts have done in the last few years, there is merit in seeing India's traditional balancing act as one that gives its foreign policy maximum flexibility to serve India's needs. Now, we also have a question of the week. QOTW comes from Naveen Kadian, who has asked, could you please elaborate on the prospects of India-China relations in the context of the RIC grouping? Now, Naveen, as you probably know, the RIC grouping, Russia and China, first came up in 1996, thought up by Russian Premier Yevgeny Primakov, and clearly was a hedge against what uh, Russia saw as the Western alliance. Now, there have been several foreign ministers' meetings. I think we're about 22 rounds so far. There has been no RIC summit since 2019. Uh, in the G20 summit in Osaka, particularly important since the LSE standoff was held in 2020. Uh, External Affairs Minister Jay Shankar has taken part in the RIC foreign ministers' meetings over the last few years, both virtually and in person. But the question really is, will the three leaders, Xi, Putin, Modi, slated to meet in Delhi at the SCO summit in July, also make time for the RIC meeting. So a lot of alphabet soup over there. Let's make it a little clearer by getting you some reading recommendations. And honestly speaking, the best way to tell just how important the events of the last uh, month have really been is to look at how few books really come out on the issue, uh, have come out on the issue so far. So a lot of the books I'm going to tell you, to be honest, I have not been able to read uh, yet, but they are outlooked for either this month or later this year. Uh, and I'm certainly looking out for them. One is called China and Russia, Four Centuries of Conflict and Concord. This is by Philip Snow. It's out in April 2023, so I may actually come back to uh, tell you about it later. Uh, the New Cold War, the United States, Russia and China from Kosovo to Ukraine. Very important, very topical by Gilbert, Gilbert Achar, also out in April 2023. Uh, there's China and Russia, the new rapprochement by Alexander Lukin. Now, this is important because most of the other books on the issue are told from a Western perspective. But Lukin is a professor at the National Research University's Higher School of Economics in Moscow. He had previously written 
Pivot to Asia, Russian Policy Enters 21st Century. Now, these two books written in the last few years really tell you about the new relationship between Russia and China. Uh, there's another book called The Russia-China Axis, The New Cold War and America's Crisis of Leadership. This is by Douglas Schoen and Melik Kalan. Another book I'm looking out for, it's called Three Dangerous Men. So you can already tell it comes from a Western perspective, but it's called Russia, China, Iran and the Rise of Irregular Warfare by Seth Jones. Now, why this is uh, important is it doesn't just focus on Putin, Xi and Raisi. Uh, and it has that very provocative uh, cover uh, with, with a grenade on it. But it really focuses on lesser known figures, generals in particular, Gerasimov from Russia, Zhang Yuxia from China and the assassinated IRGC chief General Soleimani on what they have actually meant for the strategy of the reason, region. A new book coming out, Grand Delusion, The Rise and Fall of American Ambition in the Middle East by Stephen Simon. It comes out this month and it could not be a more topical uh, time and there should be more on uh, what's happening in the Middle East there. Another book that I have actually read only recently called Black Wave, Saudi Arabia, Iran and the Rivalry that Unraveled the Middle East by Kim Ghatas. Uh, she's a journalist who, is, uh, who has a take on the, how the events of 1979 really changed the region from a prosperous and progressive to a protracted conflict. Very well worth reading and from the ground reporting. Uh, another book you might find interesting, although very stilted uh, and very critical, called MBS, The Rise to Power of Mohammed bin Salman and a book I have recommended in the past, but I'm saying it again, West Asia at War, Repression, Resistance and Great Power Games by Talmiz Ahmed, former ambassador of India to the region and somebody uh, who talks about what each of these events really mean for India. So we hope you enjoy those and do join us again on Worldview from the team here. Thanks for watching.